Welcome home. This is Audio EXP for the 7th of November 2020. And the title of this episode is Alien Invasions. Where would you go to survive an alien invasion? That was the question Geek Native asked when I had a copy of Fainting Goat Games' The After to give away. The After is a Savage World campaign setting that picks up after successful alien invaders are done with the Earth and simply move on. Those people who are left on the planet are those that have found places to hide, or happen to be in locations so remote that the aliens rarely bothered with them. You guessed it. To win a copy of the game, readers had to answer a poll question. So, where would you go to survive an alien invasion? The choices are, hide in the woods, escape to the countryside, keep moving, scavenge carefully in the remains of the city, hide in the hills, deep into the city's underground, or flee to the coast. I can tell you what readers said at the time. Almost no one, less than 2%, would flee to the coast. Why do you think that is? Is it a more significant target? Is it a case of not being trapped with your back to the water? I suspect, in the case of a zombie outbreak, the coast would be far more attractive. Well, boats and islands in particular. The third most popular response was simply escaping to the countryside. You know, find the small cottage down by the borders somewhere far from any town or city and hold out. The second top answer was to hide in the woods. I guess that makes sense. I doubt many of us are skilled foresters, but the trees would certainly help hide us from the air. Well, that's if the aliens used anything as crude as optics. The top answer, though, was to keep moving. I get the logic, but I'm surprised at one. To keep moving would mean not settling for a hiding place if you found a great one, and surely the mere act of travel would heighten the chances of getting spotted or raising interest. Well, I suppose the motivations of the aliens beyond world conquest are unknown to us. Alien, as it were. So this really is a hypothetical question with no wrong answer. Savage Worlds, by the way, have updated their errata with a few tweaks. Most significantly, they think their original rules on the stun condition were wrong, overpowered, and so the status has been softened. On Geek Native this week, I also blogged Toon Apocalypse, a short movie about aliens that look like cartoons arriving on the planet. It's set in Edinburgh, the city from which this podcast is being recorded, and it's undoubtedly an unusual tour if you're curious to see what the city looks like. You can find the link to the transcript of the podcast in the show notes, and from that, links to everything mentioned. Tuno Clips is less than 20 minutes long. Of course, as gamers, we don't just dabble with world-destroying scenarios, we also build them. An unusual Kickstarter I noticed this week is the Atlas Architect. It's a software project that calls itself a game. However, I think most tabletop gamers looking at it will see map-making software. The programmer is uh, Daniel Rashidi, who worked with DICE on projects like Battlefield and Battlefront before. And Atlas Architect builds 3D computer game-style worlds. These are not the flat, top-down views that are so popular with most virtual tabletop systems. I thought the demo was very impressive. And given it only costs a couple of bucks to back, I went for it. If you've been burnt by software projects on Kickstarter before, then Atlas Architect will release the Steam where it will be fractionally more expensive. 
so you can wait and see for this particular project. The Bundle of Holding is also helping out with world building this week. Every year or so, the discount site curates world building assets into the usual duo of a starter collection and a bonus collection. World Builders Toolkit 7 launched this week with 42.50 worth of goodies in the starter collection and another $65 in the bonus collection. While we're talking money, let's talk charity. Wizards of the Coast are running an eBay auction for extra life right now. In fact, credit to them, they've been busy raising money for their charity partner for most of the year. This time, over at Watsy's eBay page, you can find rare production material from D&D books. I mean things like the cover for Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. I've not seen much media coverage for this auction, but I would imagine it could attract some wealthy collectors. Hopefully, though, it's still worth casting your eye over. There are some exciting freebies from this week's news, too. Sticking with Wizards of the Coast for a minute longer, they've made Wrath of the Immortals free to download from DriveThruRPG. The PDF scan is of a 30-year-old book, so keep that in mind, but it offers up PC rules for the Immortals of Mistara, and Mistara was D&D's default campaign setting for years, and now it languishes in obscurity. The sting in the tail with the Wrath of Immortals is that you really need a copy of the D&D Rules Cyclopedia to use it. This is not D&D 5e. Unfortunately, the co-author of the D&D Rules Cyclopedia is a guy called Frank Metzler, who has been banned from gaming conventions due to concerns over his behaviour. Still, as Wrath of the Immortals is free, no one is making any money from it. Another freebie that Geek Native blogged about this week is the fan project Naruto 5e. That's right, a whole campaign setting built around Naruto and Buruto Uzumaki and the Leaf Shinobi, powered by 5e. I've embedded the latest release from Tommy Cobb, so you can check out the whole rule set without having to download a thing. And it's been a popular post this week, and I imagine many people are grabbing copies while they can. I say while they can, because I think these unofficial conversions live or die by the whim of legal departments. In 2015, a fan-made Mass Effect RPG was disqualified from the Ennies. In this case, it wasn't because of actions from Bioware, but the Ennie team, run by Morris and Enworld at the time, wanted to support the intellectual property rights of creators. I suspect an area where we'll see IP rights being hot is the virtual tabletop scene. I've seen more than one Kickstarter for websites or software that seem to use RPG rules that you would normally have to pay for, or which come loaded with illustrations that it appears the creators simply took off the web. However, there are plenty of good virtual tabletop news stories this week. The Challenger Virtual Tabletop Foundry has an official Warhammer Fantasy roleplay module. Foundry is different from any other virtual tabletop solutions as it does not charge a license fee. You buy it once, and then you run it on your machine. That, of course, means that if your machine is not running, then your players cannot log in. If your internet provider has locked down certain settings, then it won't work either. However, you can pay for third-party hosts to run Foundry for you, but then you're back to the more traditional subscription model. The Warhammer module is an example of IP on VTTs done right. You buy the module from Cubicle 7. It's official authorised and supported by the publisher. In similar news, 
Astral Tabletop now have an official Call of Cthulhu Quick Start in their system. You have to have an account to look at it, but that's free to make. And Fantasy Grounds officially launched Fantasy Grounds Unity this week. It's official because this release is stable and it has all the things the Kickstarter promised. Fantasy Grounds is probably Roll20's most significant competitor right now. And rather than using a web-based approach like Roll20 or Astral, it runs on software on your machine that then connects to Smiteworks' infrastructure. Fantasy Ground Unity is a new version of the software, and it uses the prevalent Unity gaming engine. That's the same engine that powers Pokemon Go, in fact. Okay, let's flip the RPG news to the other end of the industry and talk about some smaller players. Silverfine Publishing has a Kickstarter for an unusual RPG called Summon Skate. It's a really simple Kickstarter with tiers for the PDF copy or the print copy. I've seen far more swanky and impressive pictures. However, Silverfine is translating this indie Japanese tabletop RPG into English. And if they're successful, I hope it will be a nice boost to the industry, a cross-culture of influences and styles. In Summon Skate, the PCs summon monsters to fight for them by skating out complex glyphs on the ground. The Kickstarter shows a battle map with patterns forming, but also hazards that need to be avoided. A more traditional but brand new publisher is X Stasis Games, which has been founded by Kat Evans and Liz Gist. These two industry veterans have their names on plenty of products, and I think setting up a publishing entity of their own makes sense. The first project, which will be a Kickstarter, is the dark fantasy 5e-powered game from their dreadful realm setting. Called Caverns of the Wise Minister, the central focus is a city carved out of death's realm, and it's older than the gods themselves. Lastly, as of the start of a new month, the spotlight poll for patrons is open. As usual, there are five independent publishers to vote for and the winner gets featured on Geek Native. The candidates are Third Kingdom Games, Forgotten Adventures, James Mishler Games, Tibius, and The Thought Police. As well as getting to vote, if you're a patron already, then just as soon as the platform allows, there will be a dice bag in the mail for you. It's a thank you for your support. And on that note, let's call it a wrap, keep safe, stay out of melee range, and count every hit point. See you next week.